of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and are neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see as many as I love I rebuke and chasten therefore be zealous and repent behold I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for this special morning you've blessed us with and this special time, Lord, to be in your presence together as your church, as your family. And Lord, as we've read through this letter already, may we have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. We don't want to be lukewarm. And so God, help us this morning. Work in our hearts, work in our lives. Do a fresh work of your Spirit. And I thank you, Lord. We thank you for the great things you're going to do. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen. So the church of Laodicea, that is a church that we do not want to be a part of, correct? And so how does someone get there? How does someone avoid getting there? If you are there this morning, how do you get out of that place of lukewarmness? And so let's take a look at this. Remember, Jesus is giving seven report cards, if you will, seven letters to seven churches, seven literal churches that existed during John the Apostle's day when he was alive. But we know we can find all of these churches throughout church history, throughout the entire church age. And so as we're reading through, we need to be reminded of that, that there's not only application for us corporately as a church, but also individually as well as believers. In fact, that last verse tells us so. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches Plural. So let me draw your attention to verse 14. We're told there um, Jesus is giving this to the angel of the church. And, and remember that word angel in Greek means messenger. And so it can either be a heavenly messenger, an angel, or it can be someone that uh, is speaking on behalf of God, if you will. I believe it is probably the pastor of the church or one of the leaders of the church. Um, God's messenger who is to faithfully listen, to faithfully communicate God's message to God's people. 
And so this letter was to be given to the congregation. And notice it's interesting how this church is described. It's described as the church of the Laodiceans. Notice the other letters were the church in Smyrna, in Thyatira, in Philadelphia. But this is the church of the Laodiceans. And Laodicea means people rule. And you know right off the bat that's a bad thing, isn't it? Is, are the people to be ruling the church? The people are to be ruling the church? No way, Jose. Jesus is to be ruling the church, right? He's the senior pastor. It's his church. We'll talk about that more in just a minute. But this is the area of Laodicea. And Laodicea, if you have a Bible map in the back of your Bible, Laodicea is approximately 40 miles east of Ephesus inland. And uh, it, is a, it was a very wealthy city. Um, there was the, it was a center for banking, uh, for commerce, uh, in fact, in 60 AD, check this out, in 60 AD, there was an earthquake there that wiped out the city. And Rome, right, Rome called them, texted them. <laughs> Rome got in contact with the, the Laodiceans and said, we want to rebuild your city. And you know what the Laodiceans said? Uh, no, we're rich. We've become wealthy. We are in need of nothing. Thanks but no thanks. We got this under control. And it's not an accident, these churches that Jesus picks, right? He takes something that um, from the city itself and incorporates it into the letter or report card that he's giving to the church. In fact, um, one of the major uh, sources of income, which made them fabulously wealthy in that city was black wool. And so from black wool, they got black uh, outfits and clothing and gals, you know, basic black big thing, isn't it? So this, that was, you know, a big thing, very big business. They also had a medical school there and they also sold a specific eye ointment that helped with uh, cataracts and other stuff. And we've got some in the, uh, in the foyer, 1999 special, no, just kidding. So that was a big moneymaker too, this eye salve. And Jesus kind of spoke about that a little bit later in the letter, didn't he? In the report card. And uh, not only that, so check this out, they had very poor water there. And so what they did was they were in this tri-city area of Hierapolis, Colossae, and Laodicea. So they had water piped in via aqueduct, but by the time the water got there, it arrived and it was lukewarm. Lukewarm and, and made people deathly sick also. So they had a bad water source as well. And so you see Jesus using all of these things to communicate. He's a master teacher. Our God is a master teacher. So he uses all of these things to connect, help the people to connect the dots spiritually, so to speak. And so let's see what else Jesus has to say. Remember, he introduces himself at the beginning of all of these report cards. And he reminds the church um, of something about himself. And normally they're taken from Revelation chapter 1. When, remember when John the Apostle saw Jesus, right? Uh, beautiful, majestic, unveiled in all of his beauty and majesty. And Jesus takes some of those characteristics from chapter 1 and he applies them specifically to each church. And so three things. Look at the, what's the first thing he says. He says, I am the, or how does he put it? Uh, these things says the amen. So what does amen mean? That sounded right. What does it mean? So be it. That's the truth. We normally put it at the end of our prayers, don't we? 
Is it like 10-4, over and out, good buddy? Is that what amen is? No, it's so be it. This is the truth, right? We agree is the idea. It's interesting. When you look at in the, in the Gospels, Jesus said, amen, amen, or verily, verily, when he began to say something, right? He didn't typically say it at the end. He said it at the beginning. Why? Because everything he says is true and right on. Before he even says it. Why? Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. He always speaks the truth. And his, listen, his word, this is so good. His word is always truth. His word is always right on. Can I just remind us this morning of something that he's reminding the church? Is that his word will have the final say in your life and in my life. And that should bring us hope. That should bring us comfort. I mean, because there's times when you think, oh man, I'm going to be the first person to disprove God's promise in my life. And it's like, no, he comes through, doesn't he? He's so faithful. He is the amen. And so... Um, He reminds them of the authority of his word and who he is, his authority. And then second, he reminds the church that he is the faithful and true witness. Do you guys appreciate faithfulness? We do, don't we? That's about half the room. Do you guys appreciate faithfulness with your spouse? Correct? Amazon delivery guy? Right? You hope you get your stuff on time, right? In your, the right front yard. We appreciate faithfulness, don't we? And the Lord appreciates faithfulness in our lives. In fact, that's required in our lives. Moreover, it is required in a steward that he be found faithful. And, and Jesus says he's the faithful witness, but he's also, what does it say? The true witness or the genuine witness. The real, he's the real deal. There's nothing fake, nothing phony with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he's reminding the church that when he speaks, he speaks the truth, that his life, his life backs up the truth, his witness by the way he lived his life. And he reminds the church, listen, we need to give an accurate, reliable um, witness for him as his followers. We are to be faithful. And not only that, we're to be real too. We're to be genuine. Do you guys like phony? God doesn't want phony. Jesus had the hardest words for the religious phonies of his day, didn't he? The Pharisees, the religious leaders. Man, he had the heaviest stuff addressing them, the truth and love to them because of their phoniness, because of their, they were disingenuine. And so Jesus says, I am the faithful and true witness. We're to be his witnesses also, to be faithful and true. Look at the third thing he says. He's the beginning of the creation of of God. And so just a little heads up, that does not mean Jesus is part of God's creation. Jesus is the creator. Colossians chapter 1, you guys remember our study in Colossians? All things are created by Jesus and for Jesus. Isn't that beautiful to be reminded of that you were created for a relationship with him? Not only did he make you, David, David rejoiced in that. He said that I, am, I rejoice that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Is that... Cause you to rejoice too this morning. That little baby right there, fearfully and wonderfully made. So are you also as well. But not just made for whatever random purpose. You're made for a relationship with Jesus Christ. And let me take it one step further. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So he reminds the church of these things. Isn't it good to be reminded of these things? The church need to be reminded. We need to be reminded. Why do we need to be reminded? 
because we forget these things. And so it's so good to be reminded. And Jesus begins right here. And he, he, remember, he starts with the diagnosis or the prognosis. Let's check it out together. He says, I know your works. I know what you're into, what you got going on, that you are neither cold nor hot. And is that speaking, that's speaking of their, physical, their spiritual condition, their spiritual temperature. They're not freezing. They're not hostile. Remember the Apostle Paul, a.k.a. Saul, on the road to Damascus? He was hostile, wasn't he? Rounding up Christians to be killed. And so that's cold. On the flip side, hot is, is fervent. It's passionate. Remember John the Baptist? Jesus said about John the Baptist, he, he's a, he was a burning and a shining lamp, and you chose to rejoice in his light for a season. And so Jesus says, I wish you were hot or cold or hot. I wish you were one or the other. I wish you would either hate me or love me with all your heart. Wow, it's heavy, isn't it? So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. That is heavy this morning stuff. So Jesus says, like the city's water supply, your spiritual temperature is lukewarm, he says to the church. And I looked up lukewarm, and here's what I found. Lukewarm means indifferent, half-hearted, uninterested, unconcerned, tepid, lackadaisical, passionless, unmoved, unenthused, could care less, room temperature, showing little enthusiasm, and when you are lukewarm as a Christian, you're neither hot nor cold. If you're lukewarm as a Christian, you're lukewarm in your love for God, you're lukewarm towards the word. There's no zeal, but there's no rejection either. You're just going through the motions spiritually. And it's a tragedy when someone's lost their passion, isn't it? You guys ever seen that? When someone's lost their passion in life. And we are designed, I believe personally, we're designed to be passionate. I mean, have you guys ever seen someone that squander their potential? And what, is, what happens? When they, have you guys ever seen that happen? Someone squandering their potential? It makes you sick, doesn't it? It's like, oh man, come on, dude. You got so much potential. I, I shared first service. I played baseball uh, in high school with this dude named Sparky. And he had like white blondish hair all the way down to his rear. And he was a, he was a, a heavy meddler. Anybody have that hair? Remember when you had hair? <laughs> but this dude, like, he was the, such a good baseball player. He was awesome. But he was so into drugs and heavy metal music. And, and in fact, he came one game, he had, a, he had a, a neck brace on. And he said, Coach, I can't play, man. I can't play in this game. And the coach is like, what's the matter, dude? I was in Metallica all night doing, you know, <laughs> swinging the hair. But then he ended up not playing. He ended up, you know, doing drugs. And, and, but it was like, man, he would have been an amazing player, but squandered the potential that God, the gifts and the talents that God had given them. And so we see here, this church, they've become lukewarm. How do you become lukewarm? Either you cool off or you're just brought up in heat just a little bit. But in any event, Jesus says, what does he say? How does he wake them up to their spiritual condition? 
How does he wake us up this morning? If you're in that condition, how does he wake us up to our condition? Heavy words, isn't it? He promises to do what? To puke, throw up, spew, expel, or barf them out of his mouth. That is a shockingly strong statement, isn't it? Probably one of the most in the entire Bible. Um, what is vomit? I, I, listen, I don't mean to gross you out, but that, that's what the book says. When you vomit or barf, you are ridding your body of something that doesn't belong, something that is harmful, something that is irritating you within. And so it's a violent expulsion of something that is dangerous to the body. Is that like a little amen? Thank you. Got it right. But listen, a lukewarm condition is dangerous to the body of Christ. It's dangerous. How does he view lukewarmness, indifference, no zeal, no passion? It makes Jesus so sick that he will expel you from his body. What does that mean, Mike? Pastor, what does that mean, man? Come on, you know your Bible. You're supposed to know it. I have no clue. Listen, I have no clue what that means. But here's the deal. I don't want to find out what it means. I don't want to find out. I want to stay on fire for Jesus no matter what. I actually had someone years ago come up to me and say, Mike, you're too passionate about Jesus. You're too on fire for Jesus. And you know what else was attached to it? You're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. I said, dude, you got the wrong, that's wrong. The whole statement's wrong. It's backwards, bro. It's, you're too earthly minded to be any heavenly good, first of all. And I don't ever want to mellow out. And I took him right here to Revelation 3 and said, look what Jesus thinks about lukewarm, man. He's going to puke you out. I don't ever want to be puke. And so this is heavy. Lukewarm is an affront to Jesus Christ and a danger to the body of Christ. And I think the Lord just looks at this and says, to see what you're doing, I've given you gifts. I've given you fellowship. I've given you the opportunity to change the world. I've given you everything that pertains to life and godliness. I've attached to your life every exceedingly great and precious promise to your life. You're a partaker of the divine nature, and you just don't care. You stopped. You stopped learning. You stopped growing. You're living without passion. You're just going through the motions, and it makes me sick. It's heavy. Well, what was the problem? What was the problem with this church? Look at the next verse. Look what Jesus said. And it's not, it's, it's what was coming out of their mouths, which is an overflow of the heart, right? Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. They thought they were doing fine, because Jesus says in the next part of the verse, but what? You do not know that you're wretched and miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And so, listen, they were not lukewarm in their disposition. They were not lukewarm by personality. They weren't just like some mellow people. They were on fire for something. Do you see what it says in that verse? They were not lukewarm about money, about riches, about material things, about their status about their self-dependence, their self-sufficiency. They were only, check this out, they were only lukewarm about God. 
Wow. Physically, materially, financially, the church was thriving. They were zealous, passionate about material gain. And they were not lacking at all in their own eyes. In fact, they viewed themselves in need of, what does it say? In need of nothing. That means they're in need of no one. You know what that means? We don't need Jesus. That means no reliance upon the Lord. Each day moving forward in pride, self-sufficiency, and they're continuing to esteem themselves higher and higher and higher, filled more and more with themselves with no thought of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice the phrases. Well, how do you get to this place? How do you arrive here? Number one, I am rich and have become wealthy. You know what they forgot? They forgot that everything we have is by the grace of God. Everything we have is by the grace of God, gang. The Apostle Paul put it this way, what do you have that you've not received? Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights to us. All the good stuff is because of the Lord. All the, all the mistakes are mine. But everything good is from Him and from Him alone. I have need of nothing. That phrase, I have need of nothing, again, they neglected the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. They, let me repeat that. They neglected the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives because, listen, if we are filled and refilled with the power of the Holy Spirit, we will not be spiritually lukewarm. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Didn't Jesus promise the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit, right? So we could have power to be his witnesses, right? Power to live a life like Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? So he's given us the resources we need. The church here weren't relying upon his resources. They're saying, we're in need of nothing. But here's the deal. If you, if you pray to be filled and to be refilled, you'll be walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Your life will be looking more and more like the Lord, Lord Jesus Christ. It's that simple. Was Jesus passionate, by the way? Or was he lukewarm? Was he passionate? He was passionate, he was passionate about the Father, he was passionate about the Father's business, about people, about seeing the kingdom furthered. And the greatest Christian that ever lived is living in your heart and in my heart. And so, he that, he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. It is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. He gives us what we need and the want to, but the church here did not want to. In fact, they were self-deceived. They said this, and Jesus said, but you do not know. You're saying this, but you do not know. And self-deception is, it can happen to any of us, gang. To be deceived, and when we're self-satisfied, self-sufficient, and Jesus said, you do not know, or you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. The reality is, here's how you really are, the Lord said. And they were pitied and miserable because they were unacceptable to God. They were bankrupt, blind, and bare naked because they were trusting in themselves, their own righteousness, their own efforts, their own, their own strength. And it's interesting because it's that, that phrase, I am. Because I am. You know, selfishness is our problem this morning. Is selfishness our problem? It is, isn't it? Self-centeredness. 
I'm not selfish. It's not about me. If I took a big picture of all of us this morning and put it online, who would you be looking for? <laughs> and, and then what would you say? Oh, I look terrible. How could they use that picture online? Now it's out there for everybody. We're so self-consumed, self-absorbed, and our culture promotes that. And the sad thing is, not only has it crept into the church, but Paul said to Timothy, the last days would be marked by a pro proliferation of love of self, perilous times. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, and so forth, rather than lovers of God. And we see that happen in the church of Laodicea. Selfishness is nurtured in our culture, and we cannot allow that to grow in our lives, you guys. So how do you get to that place? Make it all about you. You make it all about you. They have found a church. So the Laodiceans, they have found a church that will make them feel comfortable in their carnality and their selfishness. Paul also told Timothy about that too, the last days. That men, people would heap up teachers. They would no longer endure sound doctrine, right? You guys remember that? Paul told Timothy, preach the word. For the time is coming, it's already come, where people will no longer endure sound doctrine. 45-minute Bible study? Come on. When's he going to get done? So I go to Costco, get my samples, and... You know. we, not here, not at this church. That doesn't happen. What, what will happen? You don't endure sound doctrine, so what do you do? You heap up teachers that will do what? That will tickle your ears. Tell you what you want to hear and not what you need to hear. I, got, I listen to this guy on YouTube and this guy before church and that guy, and I feel so good. Because he never talks about sin and repentance and hell. And you know what you got? You got a church that is man-centered and not God-centered. In fact, did you notice where Jesus was in relation to the church in verse 20? Oh, it's not only for individuals, because individuals make up the church, don't we? All members, right? One body. But Jesus is outside the church knocking to get into the church. He's no longer in the center of the church. That's, all, that's bad, isn't it? And the tragic part is, they think what? We're doing just fine. Don't bother us now. Can someone just tell them we're not here? And he knocks and he knocks to be brought back into the center of their church and of their lives. They have no clue anything's wrong at all. Again, this is Laodicea where the people rule, not the Lord Jesus. Can you imagine if you're the pastor and you're hearing this? Or the leadership and you're here? I'll bet a pin, you can hear a pin drop like this morning. What? I would say personally, they've got some weak leadership in this church. How can you say that, man? Because you know what they were saying? We need to give the people what they want. What will please them? We need to tell people what they want to hear. 
We will have sermons on how you can be successful in business, how you can influence people and max out your potential. You can become a better you in three easy steps. Can I tell you how to become a better you in three easy steps this morning? To deny yourself and to take up your cross every day and follow Jesus. That's the way. Death to the self, deny the self, and the best part is following Jesus where we experience his resurrection power in our life, in our marriage, in our homes, in our ministries. And so, listen, Jesus is not a hobby. He's not an, he's not, Jesus is not an occasional activity. He said to follow him every day, to take up our cross and follow him every single day. And Jesus said, you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Listen, naked in ancient times, especially in the Roman Empire, was an awful thing. It was a humiliating thing. It meant you were stripped, defeated, wiped out, and paraded around for everyone to see, is the idea. And man, that's brutal. Brutal. In Jesus' eyes, they were defeated, humiliated, and stripped, but they had no shame at all. How do you get to this place? How do you get to that place? I think, and there's a few more things that we need, not only neglecting the the person and work of the Holy Spirit, but I would say also uh, you're ignorant or neglecting the Bible. What the Bible says, what is taught in God's word, you're no longer learning and growing, biblical illiteracy, ignoring the Bible altogether, or you have a Bible buffet. Remember we talked about that last Sunday? You pick and choose what you like. You guys remember that? You guys hear last Sunday? Spinach thing through the... Okay. Ring a bell for somebody? Okay. The Bible was not a priority in the church or in their individual lives. How can you say that? How do you know that? Look what it said. Look what Jesus says again. Because you say at the beginning of verse 17 and then the middle, do not know. You do not know. He expected them to know this. You do not know. Do you get anybody here look in the mirror this morning? Do you guys ever look in the mirror? No, you, yes. Nobody looks in the mirror here this morning. You see, you got boogies or bad hair, whatever. What does this have to do with the Bible study, Mike? Come on. Listen, if this church had been in the Word, they would know their condition. When you look in the mirror in the morning, you see your physical condition, don't you? Correct? Is that correct? James said the Bible is just like a mirror to show us our spiritual condition. Just like a physical mirror makes us aware of our physical appearance, God's Word, the mirror of God's Word, shows us the reality of our spiritual condition. Are you with me this morning still? The Bible keeps us aware of our spiritual condition. The Word of God. Remember, remember last Sunday, we looked at the two guys on the road to Emmaus that were walking with Jesus? And remember the conclusion they came to after Jesus bailed, he showed up and bailed? Did not our hearts burn within us? When he, what? When he opened the scriptures to us, when he spoke to us, 
Man, that's a good case of heartburn, isn't it? That's what we want to have, to be on fire. So how do I keep a fire going spiritually? I keep putting more wood. I keep feeding. I keep feeding my spirit with the word of God. Reading, studying, meditating on God's word keeps us from the danger of lukewarmness. I would say they were prayerless. there's prayerlessness too in this church. How can you say that? Because listen, prayer is an acknowledgement of my dependence upon God, that I need him. Lord, I need you. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing of any spiritual or lasting value. It's like, Lord, fill me. I need you. I need you to deal with this situation. Help me. Give me wisdom and understanding how to navigate this and navigate that situation. And Lord, keep me from evil, from the evil. I know temptations will be coming my way, Lord, this day, this afternoon. I'm weak, Lord. That, that was Jesus' assessment of our flesh, wasn't it? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is super strong and buff. No, weak. God, I'm weak. I need you. Thank you that your grace is sufficient. So prayerlessness, I would say one more thing. They were materialistic. Want to become lukewarm, become materialistic or covetous. And it's nothing new under the sun. They equated their material prosperity with maybe their faith or their supposed spirituality. You guys know what I'm talking about? Health, wealth, prosperity movement today. If you got the faith, you're going to get the stuff. Name it and claim it, blab it and grab it. And listen, it's not true. Right? That whole movement, what do they teach? If you're healthy and wealthy, you must be doing really good spiritually. That's not the case always. Look at the church of Smyrna earlier, right? They had nothing. They were dirt poor. And Jesus had no rebuke for that church. Why? Because they were walking with him and trusting in him and looking to him and to his word. And so, listen, um, spirituality is to be determined based upon the degree that my life looks more and more like Jesus. That's the only gauge is our Christ-likeness. Am I growing in that, being conformed to his image? Materialism, covetousness kills spirituality, kills growth in our lives. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. So Jesus gives his diagnosis, his prognosis. Aren't you glad he gives the cure too? Yes. Amen. Anybody glad that Jesus gives us the how to get back? Yes. Right? Yes. Look what he says. He infuses hope. I counsel you to do what? To buy from me gold refined in the fire. Why? That you may be rich. Jesus gives his counsel, right? And, and by the way, that's the only counsel that truly matters. It's from the Lord, from his word, from him. And what does he say? He says, buy from me. I've been kind of just wrestling with that all week long. Like, does Jesus have a pop-up shop somewhere? You roll in and buy this stuff. I think the idea is turn to him for the things money cannot buy. No matter what the cost in your life, this is what you need right here. Number one, gold refined in the fire. I think it speaks of genuine faith. Peter talked about it in 1 Peter. Our faith is like gold refined in the fire, to have a real, genuine trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The just shall live by faith. But I think it speaks of something else. I think it speaks of genuine works, too. Jesus said, don't store up your treasures here, right, where moths and thieves and rust 
can get to it, but do what? To store up your treasures in heaven, right? Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Invest. This is the proper way to invest eternally. What's the second thing Jesus says? To do what? To get some white garments, right? They were, they were all like stoked about their, their slick black outfits, right? The black wool. And the Lord's saying, here's the garments you really need. White garments, which speaks of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Remember what Isaiah said. If you're taking notes, Isaiah 61. Isaiah was super stoked about the righteousness of our Lord. And here's what he said. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. Why, Isaiah? For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Listen, uh, a greater shame than being caught physically naked would be, to, would be found spiritually naked before God, before heaven. And this is the only way to stand rightly before God, is to be trusting in his righteousness, not your goodness, not your works. Remember the prodigal son? You guys remember the prodigal story? Yes. Anybody remember that story? Yes. Prodigal, right? Squandered all of his resources in the pig pen. Says, I'm gonna head on home. He gets up, leaves the pig pen. And he's how did he smell, you think? Pretty good? Or gnarly. Gnarly, right? Nasty, been in a pig pen. He's heading home, he's cruising home. All of a sudden, here he comes, and his dad, I bet that dad's been watching the whole time out the window. When's he coming home? I can't wait. And here he comes, and what does dad do? Hikes up the drawers and starts running as fast as he can to get it before anyone else can get to him. He runs, and then what does he do? You need to take a bath? Is that what he says? Clean up your act? Tackles him. And then gives him a, ro a robe, right? Ring on the finger, shoes on the feet. Welcome home, son. That's awesome. That's the picture here. Maybe this is you. Maybe this morning you're the lukewarm one. You need to come home today. It's all about coming back to Jesus. That's always where revival happens in our lives. In fact, it says about Jesus. Remember what it says about Jesus? A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not, some of you know it, he will not quench. Man, you, just, you got a little ember this morning in your heart. You realize that you know it this morning. You're lukewarm. I, I would say I would be afraid if you're in that condition this morning. But you come to Jesus, and he's not going to go, I'm done with you, bro. Chica, I'm done. What's he going to do? He'll fan that flame in your heart. You've got to come to him, though. We're going to see that in just a minute. In verse 20, it's always connecting with Jesus, intimacy, relationship with him. Look at the third thing, though. He says here, anoint your eyes with eye salve. So you can what? So you can see clearly. They had a sight problem, spiritual blindness. And listen, Jesus is the expert at opening the eyes of the blind, but he's also the expert of restoring sight to the blind as well. Luke chapter 4. You can check it out later when you get a chance. He spoke about the anointing of the Spirit on his life. One of those things that the Holy Spirit did through his life, through Jesus' life, was the restoring of sight to the blind. And again, it's Jesus who restores. Maybe, maybe you once saw clearly. Maybe you once were able to connect the dots spiritually, but you've cooled off. You put your Bible down. And now church is like, mm, ho-hum. 
And it's like you come back to Jesus and say, Lord, give me that sight again. I want to see clearly. I want to have eyes to see. I want to have your eyes to see. And so, wow, look at the next verse. I thought the, uh, the verse earlier, verse 16, was astonishing. But look at this. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Is that astonishing to anyone else here this morning? No, just me. I found it very remarkable. The motivation behind the rebuke and chastening is what? It's love. There's hope. He's saying, I'm saying this because I love you. And that word is, I'm fond of you. Do you know that Jesus is fond of you this morning? He cares about you. He cherishes you, the Bible says. And listen, that demonstrates that you're a legit kid if you are chastened and rebuked. Why? Because Hebrews 12 tells us if you don't have any chastening and rebuke in your life at all from the Lord, you're an illegitimate kid. It's a demonstration of his love when we're corrected, when we are rebuked. Listen, God loves us so much, he will not allow us to sin successfully. Have you guys found that true in your own life? No? I'm learning the hard way. Like, the Lord doesn't let me get away with anything. Just get cut off, right? When you guys get cut off, what do you do? Oh, praise the Lord. That was a great move, man. Awesome. <laughs> so you guys say when you get... It's like, I didn't say anything, but in my heart, it's like... It's not what it once was. <laughs> Pray for me. But, but it's like the Lord deals with our attitudes, right? And our responses, and He sees into our hearts and our minds, and He... He doesn't allow us those things to brew and stew in our hearts and lives because it's going to damage us and damage others as well. He cares that much about us. He does whatever it takes to get us back on track. Therefore, be zealous. Be enthusiastic. Be heated. Boil. That's what the word means. Pursue hotly, earnestly. Be on fire. Be hot. Listen, that is the only attitude worthy of God, being hot for him and the things of God. Can I still be hot? Through my whole, even as an older person, you can. Some of you guys know we do a lot of ministry to assisted living centers in our area. For 15 years, I went every Wednesday and did both the assisted living and the Alzheimer's unit. Um, did Bible study for them, did service for them. We did worship together too. And I, teaching the same way I teach here with them. And there was this older gentleman in the Alzheimer's unit who would come up to me and he'd say, Sonny, you preach the word. He was a World War II, and I'd be like, man, that's awesome. And then he took me into his room a couple times to show me all of his, his awards from service. And he said, he said, we didn't shed our blood so you could preach anything else but the word. And this dude was on fire, still passionate about Jesus. Still, I mean, but, you know, you leave, and then you come back a little later, and he's like, who are you, you know? And I love that. I mean, it's beautiful. Because for that moment, he's like, man, the zeal is still there. The passion is still there for the Lord. I want to be like that dude, encouraging the next generation. Don't lose your passion. You can stay on fire 
for Jesus. He's saying here, repent, be zealous, repent. You need to admit, number one, you're in this condition. Have a change of mind, change of heart, change of direction. Make a decision, 180, and everything will change if you stop doing those things that are causing the lukewarmness. Continually, habitually, be hot following Jesus, going his way. Behold, check it out, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, And opens up. You need to open up. If you're here this morning and you've never opened your heart to Jesus, or maybe you once did, you need to open up. He's not going to knock the door down. That's not love. It's like, I'm here. Look what I did for you. I love you. I gave my life for you. And I'm knocking. If you hear my voice and open up, I will come in to be with you and you with me, and we're going to dine together. And you kind of read that and go, what? Dine? What's he talking about? Dining, eating. What's that all about? You guys know in that culture, when you broke bread with someone, when you shared a meal with someone, it was significant. It's you're uniting life together with that person. You're breaking the bre- a piece of this bread is in you. It's in me. We're breaking the same bread. We're mis- somehow mystically we're connected in a special way, in a wonderful way. That's, that's why you remember Zacchaeus? Yes. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. <laughs> And a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree. Why? For the Lord he wanted to see. Are you with me still? As a, and as the Savior passed that way, what did Jesus do? He looked up in the tree and said, Zacchaeus, come down. Why? I'm going to your house today. I know that's not the, the tune, but... And then what happened? Did he slide down? Did he jump down? What, I mean, he's a little dude. He gets down as quick as he can and goes home with Jesus. And remember the crowd? What were they saying? Pointing the finger, right? Critical, sin-sniffing, fault-finding. How could this man go and be, and be a guest at a house of a sinner? I think that's probably how they said it, too. <laughs> right? Because Jesus is uniting life with Zacchaeus, bringing him out of darkness, rescuing him. And that's what happened. We don't know the conversation that happened between them, but we know at the end Zacchaeus gave his life to the Lord. How awesome is that? And so breaking bread together, you're you're sharing, you're eating together. Listen, how often do you eat? Thank you, one honest person in church this morning. (laughs) How often do you eat? All, every day, all the time, don't you? I mean, I'm not like bagging on you guys. But that's what Jesus is saying. It's all the time, this intimacy, this connection together. I'm going to come in and we're going to share, we're going to do life together. That's beautiful. That's amazing. That he would want... God wanted to be in the closest possible place to you and to, with you and with me, and that's right in our hearts. Can I encourage you to give Jesus the place in your life that he deserves? Christianity is a relationship with Jesus. It is daily, it is intimate, it is abiding, and to the overcomer, let's finish it up, look what it says. The one who overcomes these deficiencies, 
the one who hears Jesus' instructions and obeys what he says. This is an amazing promise. Check this out. Jesus promises to do what? To share his throne with you. Is that amazing? The privilege, we've talked about this before, the privilege of ruling with Jesus, enthroned with our king in his kingdom. That's awesome. That's way better, way greater, eternally greater than anything that they were striving for or this morning you're striving for. If you're building your kingdom in this world, you're building in the wrong kingdom, my precious friend, brother or sister. There's only one kingdom to invest in. That's the kingdom that will never end, that is everlasting. And then he said, look what he says, Jesus is just like he conquered, as I also overcame. Just like Jesus conquered, he was victorious and sat down on the Father's throne. I think there's one more thing to just to, to kind of allow to wash over us this morning. How did Jesus overcome? He says, as, as I also overcame, how did Jesus overcome? I would say, number one, he trusted the Father, didn't he? In all things. His will submitted to the Father in all things. Amen. Submitted to the Father's plans. Submitted to the Word of God. If we're going to overcome, if we're going to conquer, if we're going to endure, we need to be a people that are submitted to Him, trusting and obeying the Lord, and trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit to do what He's called us to do. Trusting God through the rest of our lives. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. May we listen, apply, make the adjustments this morning if necessary to what the Spirit is saying to us. Amen. In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you.